Welcome to the New Mexico News Podcast, headlines and stories from the land of enchantment. Brought to you by KRQE. Here's Chris McKee and Gabrielle Burkhart. We are just one week away from election day here in New Mexico. And while that's top of mind for a lot of people, another major issue impacting New Mexicans' everyday lives and maybe even an issue driving people to the polls this year is the current state of the economy and how expensive everything is right now. What's driving prices and how much do politics come into play here? I'll get into all of that. But first, before we get into today's topic, a quick shout out to my co-host, Chris McKee, who you won't be hearing from today. He and his wife, Rebecca, are finally on their honeymoon and they're getting a much needed break from the news before election night. So soak it up, guys. Back to our regularly scheduled programming. With me in studio today is returning podcast guest, University of New Mexico professor Janie Shermack. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. So a little bit of your background, you're the Department of Economics chair on the faculty at UNM since the 90s, right? Okay. Mm -hmm. And your research focuses on natural resources and energy economics. Correct. Last time we spoke in July, we were coming off of gas prices here in New Mexico, close to $4.50 a gallon. And over the summer, we even saw prices inch closer to $5 a gallon. That's since gone down, thankfully, but we're currently hovering around $3.65 a gallon on average here in New Mexico. According to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, U.S. gas prices are still about 18.2% more than what we were paying a year ago. What's driving those costs right now? Well, I think there are a number of things that are driving it. Um, Certainly, we're coming off of the driving season from the summer, um, but probably I'd have to say that it's just the combination of where we are supply-wise and demand-wise. What we're seeing from demand is it's softening a little bit, which means prices should go down, and that's a bit of what we've seen. Um, But at the same time, we have the whole supply side of this, which is who's producing crude oil, quite frankly, and then how much of it are they producing? So it's the combination of those two things. And sort of a high-level question, I know Chris likes to always start off with these with our guests, but how would you broadly describe like the state of New Mexico's economy right now? Ah, that's, that's a good one. You know, I think the state of the economy in New Mexico, obviously we're seeing a lot of the problems that we've seen elsewhere in the country. Um, High housing prices, the gasoline prices are better than they were, but at the same time, we're also seeing increased costs for food, um, for almost everything across the board. And that goes back to the inflation problem. And so I think from the consumer side of things, it's people are filling it in their wallet and in their pocketbook. Uh, but on the other side, other side of that, if you look at some of our industries like oil and gas production, we've really done quite well. I think the fiscal year, which just you know ended in the end of June for the state, was probably one of the best in terms of um, oil revenues to the state. So I think it's kind of a mixed bag. There are a lot of consumers who are feeling kind of the pinch. But overall, our unemployment rates have started to come down. There seems to be maybe a bit of stabilization, I think, in in housing prices and even maybe a decline. So even though it may not seem like it right now, I think there are some bright spots there. I know that there's still a war going on in Ukraine. Obviously, one of the big global news stories recently was Saudi Arabia's announcement that OPEC Plus, which 
for listeners, that stands for the Organization of the Petroleum Exporting Countries. And the announcement was that they would cut oil production quotas by 2 million barrels per day starting in November. A bit of context here, OPEC Plus includes 23 oil producers led by Saudi Arabia and also includes Russia. There have also been reports that President Biden threatened consequences. My question for you is, how would that cut in oil production impact the U.S. or even consumers here in New Mexico? Yeah, if if that were truly a two million barrel cut per day, um, it, it would have so, it would have a consequence. But I think maybe we need to put it in context. Um, OPEC Plus is OPEC, which has I believe twelve or thirteen members right now. Those are countries that actually agree to quotas being within part of OPEC, and then there are ten additional countries that you know uh, help make decisions. I would say anymore, but probably don't have a quota that they have to follow. So what that means is is that okay, if we truly cut two million barrels a day, that would be substantial. However. Um, OPEC plus has not been able to actually make their quotas over the last several months, which means most analysts are probably saying at most you're going to see about a million barrels a day cut, which is substantial. But at the same time, we do have kind of a weakening demand. So I think it made for great headlines. Um, It will probably have some impact on prices but I don't think it's going to be as great as maybe what people feared. That said, I think the other part of it is the political piece, which is one of the reasons for cutting supply is that that should increase the price of oil. Russia is in dire need of revenues, quite frankly, about 45% of their state revenues, I believe, come from oil and gas. The sanctions have been started to be, I think, impactful on them. And so because they have a a war going on, they're in need of money. Mm -hmm. How much do politics and even this midterm election here in the U.S. play into the price of oil these days? I think politics always plays into the price of oil. I think politics plays into energy prices in general. But I think in this case, you know, the one thing that maybe we have going for us is the fact that uh, oil is priced really at a world market. And so while a group of countries can impact the price, and certainly a lot of that is political, um, to some degree, I'm not sure that necessarily our politics are impacting it quite as much. Now, the, the president has said that he will release more oil from the strategic oil reserve to kind of dampen prices. You know, you could argue, is that political or is that an economic uh, choice or is it both? Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit about inflation because it's not, you know, just gas, as you mentioned, that we're paying more for these days. The latest numbers from the Bureau of Labor Statistics show that consumers are paying more for food, groceries, medical care, energy costs, even housing, which is also a topic we addressed on a recent episode of the New Mexico News Podcast. And it doesn't seem like wages have been able to keep up. How would you describe like where we're at? Is there is there some relief in sight? Um, I hope so. You know, and, and economists always uh, can have two different answers to everything. But what I would say is, I, I, you know, if we're looking in the immediate run, if we're saying a month from now, I don't know that there are huge pieces of relief in, you know, that we would see. On the other hand, I think there are some glimmers of hope. For one thing, part of inflation still is going back to a supply chain that was interrupted by COVID. One of the things I think that we can look at is what is the cost of a shipping container 
from China to the U.S. or shipping containers to move goods from one place to the other. There's been a great decline in the cost of those for shipping goods and well, goods. And so in that, I think that will start to maybe ease things a little bit. You know, if you own a house and want to sell it, you like the high prices. But at the same time, probably a cooling off of the housing market will be helpful as well. Part of it, I think, in the short run is also going to depend upon what the winter looks like because that's going to impact energy prices. I think what I've seen in terms of the forecasts is New Mexico is going to be, you know, above average temperatures and probably below average um, precipitation. So on the one side, that probably means maybe our, our costs of heating will not be as much. So there are some things, but a lot of this is, I think, going to take a bit of time to just make itself through the system if, if you know, for lack of a better way to put it. Yeah, I, I didn't think about like the, the weather this winter, mm-hmm. how that impacts inflation. That's interesting. When you talk about, too, like slowing down inflation, I know that's something the Fed did do was raise interest levels. But I also wonder about some of these self-inflicting ways that maybe we keep things costing more. For instance, if someone asks for a raise because everything is way more expensive these days, Let's say their employer agrees and gives their employees higher salaries, but then in order to pay those higher salaries, they have to raise costs of their products, which ultimately may go back to the consumer. So in this world, do you see prices for goods going down? Is there some level of self-inflicting higher costs and keeping it that way? Uh, you know, it's it's always interesting because prices go up quickly and they go down very slowly. So I would maybe look at it more that hopefully what we will see is a slowing and a stabilization. You know, some things like food, you, you may start to see go down, but probably not for a while would be my guess. And you're right, a lot of this is probably self-inflicted. You talked about the Fed raising the, the, the rate. You know, perhaps had we raised this several years ago, rather than keeping almost a zero rate for years, it might have dampened this a little bit. But I think it's going to be a combination of things. And you're right, as you're Wages go up, you have more money to spend, and depending upon what the profit levels are for the firms that you know, are giving raises, they might be able to absorb those, or they might try to pass it on to their customer. And so it's kind of a complicated combination of factors, I think, that uh, you know, prices going down, probably not something that you're going to see immediately. I guess some glimmers of hope are people are saying that you know, if you look at prices for um, things for Christmas, gifts, because there's kind of a a large inventory that perhaps prices there will be better. I guess that's a glimmer of hope. Mm -hmm. Is there any particular good or service that you can look at as sort of like a case study for the broader state of the economy? Hmm, That's a good question. And, you know, unfortunately, I'm not sure that I can, given what my background is, um, because, you know, the state of the economy, people will talk about, you know, energy and food as being volatile. And so we take those out of the out of the picture. And so when we look at the state of economy and looking at inflation or, you know, consumer price index, it's looking at kind of a basket of goods that the normal consumer buys over the year. And so, unfortunately, what that means is kind of there's been this overall increase across a number of different things. 
So again, I think I would say I would look to see if there is a leveling off. You know, I guess some good things, again, prices of airline tickets seem to have gone down, but so do the number of of, uh, flights seem to have gone down. So those are some things I think that are maybe to look at and maybe, maybe gasoline, because again, the forecasts are that we probably should stay kind of about where we are um, in the next few months. But again, that's because it's also a low driving season. Are there any other indicators that you look at as an economics professor to predict what we can expect in the coming months? (laughs) Um, Well, you know, I think you have to look at a broad kind of base of things. And certainly the fact that we have low unemployment rates are good. Now, I know you can argue that because we have low unemployment rates, that's why we have higher, you know, higher costs because salaries have gone up too much money chasing too few goods for inflation. But at the same time, there are many pieces of the economy that are very robust. The unemployment rate is good. If you look at the earnings that have just started to come out in terms of uh, companies, the ones that I've seen so far for this quarter have been good. Uh, in a couple of days, I think there will be a new GDP assessment that comes out. I'm not sure what that will be, but at least the, some of the companies that focus on what they assess the GDP to be in the last quarter are predicting fairly decent numbers. So I think those are all things that you kind of look at to say, where are we going to be, you know, where are we right now? And what does that mean for the next three to six months? You know, we had a pandemic, the supply chain issues, we had high unemployment just not too long ago. Coming off of that, have we fully recovered? I don't, I don't think so. Um, I think that's one of the problems is, you know, we talk about what's normal and I'm, I'm not sure if the, if we'll go back to something that is quote unquote normal, it may be something that's a new normal. Um, I think there are still supply chain issues with goods coming in from China and, and other countries. I think the fact that you add the war in Ukraine to that, that's not normal. The impact that that's having on energy is problematic. It's not that the U.S. is in a bubble and is the only country that's seeing these problems. We're in better shape than a lot of other countries if you look at the the value or the price of the dollar right now. You know, why is the dollar, you know, at a, at a high point or near high? Part of it's because, you know, investment, there's still better investments in the U.S. than there are in other countries. So we are not normal, but even being not normal in the U.S. right now, we are probably in a better place than a lot of other countries. Interesting to give just a little more perspective to uh, what kind of I'm just curious now that you're I'm assuming you're back in the classroom. Yes. And you have been for a while. Mm-hmm. What are the conversations like in your classroom? Well, because I'm chair, I am actually not teaching um, in the classroom this semester. But, you know, I, I think just from hearing my faculty talk about things, I think the conversations in the classroom are a bit about the economy and where we are and the impact of COVID. I think there's also, you know, the conversations that have to do with midterm elections what does that do? And, you know, what is the, what is the outcome of that? I think to a large degree, a lot of students are just happy to be back in the classroom in person rather than online. Mm -hmm. That's a good segue for one of the questions I wanted to ask you midterm related. We know the economy is something that's probably motivating a lot of voters to the polls this year, this month. The big race on the ballot is, of course, the governor's office with Democratic incumbent Michelle Lujan Grisham facing off against Republican challenger Mark Ronchetti. 
What are some of the biggest differences you see our state facing financially with each of the two candidates' plans? That's a that's a good question. I think probably you know what you could expect if Governor Lujan Grisham is reelected that she is going to continue down the course that she is. That has some implications, I think, for energy. It has um, implications for environment. In in terms of Mark Ronchetti, I'm I have less of a good idea, I think, about what the implications are because my my take on it is is that a lot of the things that he will do will have some short-term gains, um, which people would like. And how those play out longer term, I think, is a little harder to, to forecast. And maybe for a bit of context, I know that Michelle Lujan Grisham gave out a lot of gas tax rebates that people saw maybe direct deposit taxpayers got some money back based on those um, oil and gas revenues. One thing Mark Ronchetti has said he will do is give every New Mexican a chunk of those oil and gas revenues, which I know that opponents for that plan say, well, that market is volatile and it can't be sustained. Yeah, um, I think that's exactly right. And I think, you know, the question is, is uh, if it's a one-time kind of windfall or, you know, give back to the New Mexicans, that's one thing. But if this is looked at as something that it's going to be an annual thing like the, you know, the Alaska uh, permanent fund, I think that's something very, very different. Forecasts that I've seen would suggest that, you know, in the next several years, we are going to reach the peak of production in oil and gas in the state, or oil, I should say, um, certainly in the Permian, unless new technology comes in, unless there's, you know, a new strata that we find that has oil. So given that, if you are looking at declining production in the future, and I'm saying 10 or 15 years out, then that says that's not going to be a very sustainable thing. Added to that, the volatility of prices of oil, that makes it a really hard thing to do. I know that it would be a great, you know, windfall to individuals and it would have the potential to help in the immediate run. I think it's what you do in the longer run that really is the the impact there. Um, And I don't see it sustainable for the long run. Is there a way, and speaking as somebody who is not a professor of economics, is there a way to predict market volatility in oil and gas, especially in New Mexico, when I know a lot of our budget comes from that. Yeah. Yeah. um, You know, again, going back to the fact that oil is traded on a world market and, you know, you can look at West Texas Intermediate Crude, which is kind of what we peg to, but you can also see people talking about Brent, which is a European crude stream. You know, those kind of follow each other, even though they may be five or $10 a barrel off and different. But you kind of see this overall up and down. So the volatility and the kind of changes day to day are really hard to forecast. I think another thing that has made it more difficult is that um, for about the last 20 years now, oil has been traded as a commodity like pork bellies, like anything else. And that has increased volatility in terms of the prices that we see. So we can kind of say in the long run, we can forecast the general supply and demand movements. But some of the changes that we're seeing and some of the impacts are just outside, I think, the realm of what most economists would say that they would even want to predict. Mm -hmm. 
It seems like a lot of unpredictable things have happened in the last few years. <laughs> yeah, and there are a lot of moving parts because it's how much oil is there? How much oil are you going to use? Is there a war going on? Is there a pandemic going on? Um, are we drilling more? Are we drilling less? Do we have different um, different environmental policies or regulations? There is, at the federal level and the state level, a fairly strong push to go towards renewable energy, not tomorrow, but certainly in the next several decades. That all impacts the long-run price of oil, and that's not to say that oil is going away anytime soon, because I, I just don't see how you move away from oil for, you know, for transportation uh, easily, you know, mm-hmm. maybe hydrogen, but that's not tomorrow either. That's another interesting point. I know that this push to renewable energy and even there's a big goal that I know PNM is also involved in. I don't know if you have any perspective that you can offer there, but like, how does, how do you think that that might impact oil and gas revenues in the future? You know, um, 2035. Yeah, 2035, 2050, I, I think it will probably negatively impact oil revenues if it's successful. I think the other part of that is is that you mentioned PNM and a lot of what people are moving towards really is more from electricity generation. But if you move towards, you know, electric vehicles, which a lot of states are pushing towards, that's what impacts, I think, the oil revenues if you are successful. But you also have to recognize the fact that in order to have EVs be, you know, a strong portion of the transportation system, you have to have electricity, you have to have the electric grid that works, you have to have renewables that can be stored. It's it's not a simple problem. So I think there is the potential that oil is negatively impacted into the future if those are successful. I know that was a big question in our neighbors in Texas, too, when they had that crazy winter storm. And then now with, yeah, so many people buying electric vehicles, the other question is, can the grid support all these electric vehicles? Uh, Will we have blackouts? um, I think if the coordination is done correctly and the, you know, a saving grace, I guess, is the fact that if you think that most people would recharge their vehicle at night, which is when we kind of have low you know, electricity uses otherwise, it, it could work. But again, I, I think that the, you know, the more forethought that is given to this and how the system works to- in total, the better off it is. Um, and I think a, a strong glimmer of hope to me is, is that there's a lot more, uh, there's a lot more, I think, of the thought process of going through and saying, we kind of have to look at the Western electric grid, the WEC, rather than just New Mexico. Maybe we need a, you know, a regional um, transmission authority. How does this all fit together and how do we not just think about New Mexico, but can we sell to California when we have too much solar during the day? And how do you coordinate against or across a larger system? Mm-hmm. But I still think battery storage is needed. Yeah. Bottom line, I know we can go down a whole other conversation talking about electric vehicles in the grid, but I do think it speaks to the larger, this isn't a simple solution, right? It's not, you know, and, and, you know, going back to your original question of looking at um, Governor Lujan Grisham versus Mark Ronchetti's plans, there is nothing that I think can be looked at from a simple solution and think that if we do one or two things, it takes care of the problem. I think the the more holistic the the policies are that look at each piece of the potential problem or the potential gain, 
the better off in the long run. And unfortunately, sometimes that means kind of short term, you know, the, the lack of gain in the short term or, you know, pain in the short term, I think for the longer goal. And the question is, is do we understand what those trade-offs are and how long, you know, you might be in that pain portion to get to a longer term gain. Mm-hmm. And that's a hard thing to do. Yeah. And are they politically motivated to make those decisions? Yeah. And unfortunately, you know, politicians who have to run for re-election may be motivated by every four years. What about, and kind of to end on a, a higher level question too, in your opinion, what would help New Mexico's economy the most maybe at this point? Do we need more affordable housing options? Do we need more investment in infrastructure, better jobs? Yes. <laughs> so, um, I, yeah, I think we do need more affordable housing. There needs to be a little bit of a relief, I think, in terms of the the changes that we've seen in the price of rent right now has been, um, it, it, I think that's been a real hardship for a lot of people. Uh, more jobs, yes. I think the state as a whole, we need probably diversification of economy, of the economy. We can't continue to rely on oil and gas as much as we do because we'll continue to see the feast and famine. And I think maybe that we need to kind of look across the state because a lot of the things that were that are being talked about have different implications for Albuquerque than it does for Farmington or for uh, for rural communities around the state. And I think that maybe the more focus there is in terms of looking at the state as a whole rather than just what's the bottom line may be valuable in the long run because the rural areas in the state are are hurting in terms of a lot of them, probably a lot more so than Albuquerque is. And so what what are the processes that kind of lift all pieces of the economy and all regions of the state rather than just one area? Okay. So to sort of summarize your economic forecast for New Mexico, are we in a good position? We are in a better position than we have been in. The state has, like I said, record oil and gas revenues this year, which provides, I think, um, both a cushion and some potential for, for future choices. I think we are in a better position because there is, a, I, I think, a stronger recognition that there needs to be a broader economy. That, I know, though, is not a particularly strong, you know, endorsement for anybody who's feeling the pain of costs right now. And there are a lot of, there are a lot of New Mexicans that still are. And so I think we're highly variable, but I think that there is the potential that if there are some things that go forward, regardless of who is governor, that it will be a positive impact for the state in two to five years. Well, thank you, Professor Shermack. Is there anything else that I didn't ask you that you feel like is important to share? The only thing I would say is everybody should get out and vote. to UNM professor Janie Shermack for sharing her insight with us about the state of the economy and all the factors that play into all of the things that we're paying for on an everyday basis. I hope it was an informative discussion. Chris, if you're listening, I hope you enjoyed this episode as well. We will have another episode for you next week. Chris will be back from his vacation. I'm sure well rested after 
maybe suntanned from sitting on the beach with his wife, Rebecca. Hope you enjoyed your vacation. Another plug for election night, go out and vote. Election day, of course, is November 8th. We will have live coverage for you on air and online at krqe.com. I know Chris will be heading up our live stream show online as the numbers come in. Uh, We'll also have reporters stationed at every big race around the state. So tune in. In the meantime, you can always reach out to us with feedback, story ideas, comments about the podcast. I'm at gabrielle.burkhart at krqe.com via email and gburknm on social media. Also leave us a review on whatever podcast player you might be listening from. Thank you all for listening.